In today's episode, I'll be speaking with Reed Peterson, creator of Grief Refuge, a mobile app for people experiencing a loss and possibly why he created it. Also, we'll delve into his own personal experience with death that has taken him from being in a paradigm of doing work that he didn't like to living a much larger life and that of helping others. Hello, I'm Anne, a grief and loss facilitator and your host. And if you've listened to my podcast before, you'll see that there's a recurring theme of loss, navigating it and thriving afterwards. However, it's a journey and Reed is here to help us navigate it uh, even more professionally, I'm hoping, and uh, throw in a few more grief nuggets. Hi, Reed. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Anne. Thank you for having me. I look forward to having a meaningful conversation. Yeah, me too. Especially when somebody's life has changed so differently. I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. I was excited to hear that Grief Refuge is an app. Tell me more about that. That's fascinating that we've gotten to that stage. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It is. Yeah, we've gotten there. Yeah. There's a lot of people that, a lot of professionals, and I refer to them as colleagues, whether it be a professional training I go to or a conference or something where you know you're out networking and meeting people and just mingling and you know the question hey what do you do <laughs> and i'm like well i have an app for grief support and i wish i could capture uh, some of the looks i get because they're mostly like looks of i don't even know how to describe it but they're just like almost like in awe, but almost like dumbfounded as far as like, how is that even possible? Because so much grief support is live and it's really about, you know, sharing your story and hearing another people, another person's story, bearing witness and showing up. And so um, Grief Refuge, it's there. It's, It's a daily resource for people to find comfort and support throughout their grief journey. It's almost like there are mini podcasts and that are published daily. And so they provide, if anything, they provide somebody who uses the app kind of that space to listen, reflect on their own grief experience, mm. uh, perhaps gain some insight, perhaps gain some deeper understanding of what they're going through. And also there's a lot of feeling validated because there's messaging and stories that are shared that other people have experienced. What I like to say is that most people who use Grief Refuge app, they give me feedback in saying that it really helps them get centered and it really helps them hold space for a lot of what feels that can't be held in their grief journey. So it's a daily app that people can go to and they can hear stories. Can they connect with others on the app as well? Or is it mainly one way? It's more built one way. There isn't a direct connection for others because we take grief in a more general sense. A lot of times, if you've had a certain type of loss, you feel comforted and supported by others if they have, quote unquote, a similar story or they can at least familiarize. And so the app being a little bit more of a a philosophy of grief or the psychology of grief management, um, Mm -hmm. it is a little bit more one way. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine people reaching out to the app, they are comforted knowing that they're not alone because it's, it's a very alone kind of a journey, isn't it? Uh, you, you can't imagine anybody else feeling this way. Are you normal? So connecting with other stories, as you say, probably helps normalize it for them. And uh, they can relax a little bit uh, more and knowing that they're doing grief right their way <laughs> and not what others Uh, other family members may be saying, uh, rushing them along. Is there a space for you, for them to comment? 
Yeah, well, the app has several features, so they can do many things. And so what they can do is uh, specifically open up the journal feature. And, you know, I guess it's hard to say write on an app, but they can type into some of their personal experiences. If they aren't so inclined um, to share, there's almost any feature, there's almost like an ability to take notes but these notes are only available to the person who's using the app. And so it's kind of like this, um, it's really this mirror for their inner experience. It's really to help them gain and grasp a deeper insight into what the experience is for them. You know, what the ups, the downs, the uglies, the beauties, the, the good, the bad, the everything. Absolutely. So it, you, you've created sort of a, a login feature whereby people can go and have their own uh, sacred space on, on the site. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, on the app. Yeah, it's so the app is kind of like their sacred space. There's, uh, I guess I'll put it this way, there's kind of like the opportunity to have some guidance if they so desire if they want, some people feel very lost and feel very stuck in their grief. And so they're looking for, I, in my experience, it seems like they're looking for um, a little bit of tips. Yes, but it's a little bit deeper than that. It's like, hey, um, can I get a nudge? Or can I get some kind of permission to feel like it is okay to do X, Y, or Z or to not do X, Y, or Z? Mm-hmm. There's just so much content on the app that, like you said earlier, it helps normalize their experience. And so that it's like a key to open up like some lock where it's like now they feel like they have permission to, to be, do, or, you know, experience certain things in their grief journey. Trying to think of a specific example, just the validation piece, uh, you know, there's a contact feature in the app and people will share some of their experiences because they're, they're very surprised that the tool helps them as much as it does. And so they say, Hey, I, you know, I'm just thankful. You know, I get messages, thank you messages all the time. And so they share their piece of their story a little bit. A lot of times what people experience is, in their social settings. And sometimes that's within their family. Sometimes that's within their friend network. Sometimes Mm -hmm. that's in their professional work setting. They often say, I don't feel like I have the space to grieve the way I want to. I feel like so many people are telling me how to grieve and it just, you know, it makes me feel that much more isolated. It makes me feel that much more lonely. Yeah. And when I hear certain things that are shared on the app, I feel like I now have permission to be the way I need to be in my grief. Mm-hmm. And so that's, if anything, I feel like that's like the, the biggest, uh, I'm not sure what to call it, Anne, but the biggest <laughs> empowering experience yes. for the person who uses the app. Yeah. I wonder what it is about, why why do we feel we need permission to do grief our way to have the ugly cry in the middle of a board meeting or <laughs> to uh, to feel okay to have a meltdown in the grocery store because you're hearing your favorite music played overhead is it because we've not been socialized into expressing i think that's a wonderful question to reflect on i feel like I, in my personal experience, I've pondered it for quite a while myself without, you know, one exact answer, just, you know, ideas and thoughts and perspective. And, and for me, it's, it's interesting. I feel like, oh, as a complex human, there's an experience of like the inside out. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> laughing because I've, I have been watching Stranger Things. And it, <laughs> on Stranger Things, there's the whole inside out. And it's a beautiful metaphor, actually, it for is. the life experience. Yeah. And what happens inside of us isn't often reflected or mirrored back to us on what happens in our external world. Mm-hmm. And so 
it often feels like that external validation piece isn't really doesn't really ever happen when we are deep in grief, when mm-hmm. we're feeling a lot of immense, intense uh, loss related feelings. Yeah. And so, you know, the mourning aspect, it's like, it's, it's weird. It's in Western culture, it's kind of built to like learn, grow prosper, be happy. And so a lot of times when people are really deep in grief, they kind of feel the opposite of these things that are so projected onto us. And so that's maybe where people often get caught up and not feeling like they have permission to, like you said, cry in a board meeting or cry and, you know, have other expressions or certain feelings come up and be able to uh, actively, openly uh, let them let them flow in the moment. Mm-hmm. Rather than having to push them down and deal with them if they can even deal with them later on in the, in the day so that they are not just continually stuffing those emotions down. You mentioned uh, people can journal on the app. What is it about journaling? that can create a sense of peace or uh, what is it about journaling? I know I I mention it to my clients, but I was just curious where you see journaling and why it would help. Well, I think journaling is powerful because it, two things, you, you brought up sacred space earlier in our conversation and I think journaling is a sacred experience for someone to do. And so it's a way of almost like communicating to themselves that is a little bit more than beyond thought. And so thoughts can often be circular and cyclical. And so you can feel, well, I'll speak, I'll use myself personally. I'm not going to project on anyone here. I've noticed that if I have thoughts and I, uh, if I don't journal them or I don't communicate them verbally to someone or I don't take any form of action on them, I'll recognize that, you know, after a few days or however much time passes, if I continue to think the same thing over and over again, I feel like it drains my energy. Yeah. Like I get it, I get exhausted. Mm-hmm. And so journaling can help like get something out of me without, you know, putting a lot of effort into a scheduling with someone, other people or getting in a vehicle and driving somewhere or whatever. It's almost, it's an active expression that uh, shifts energy. That's the best way I can describe it. Okay. Yeah. I, I usually liken it to getting the person out of their head into their heart so that they can write and get into those emotions. That's how I've been explaining it. I was just curious. Uh, I like the way you said that um, it's a way of almost interrupting the continual hamster thought pattern, isn't it? By putting it down in paper. And sometimes you can have some amazing, oh, all right, that, that's why I'm thinking this. You'll relate it to something. So I'm always amazed at the aha moments that you can have when you get into journaling as well. Anything else you'd like to share about the app? I think it sounds a phenomenal tool. I mean, I'll share a little bit of story of kind of how the app came to fruition. Now, my voice can tend to be a little bit hypnotic. And sometimes people say, man, your voice is so soothing. And I got enough feedback on that where I got to a point where I was like, hey, if, if this is a gift from my higher power, why don't I share it with more people? Yeah. And so I actually, when the idea came to mind, I actually thought to myself, maybe I could do guided grief meditations. Mm. And so I contacted you know, some of these meditation apps that are very, very popular. And I said, hey, you know, this is who I am. This is what I do. I have this idea. 
you know, perhaps this could be a category on your app that, you know, people could benefit from. Mm-hmm. And my idea was entertained for a while, but it just got to a point where it didn't really pan out. And so uh, then a dear friend of mine, who's a very successful life coach, <laughs> she said, hey, you know, you can do better. And I was like, do better? What do you mean? And so she was like, I bet you could probably create your own app. And I was like, what? Because <laughs> at the time, I wasn't really thinking about making an app. But then I, I gave it some thought and I journaled. <laughs> and, and I said to myself, you know, she's right. Maybe the world needs this. And so I actually, you know, went traditional. I did some market research. I partnered with friend and colleague who has a grief support center on the East Coast of the United States. And we sent out a survey to uh, like her community and got feedback on what features would be most helpful. Mm-hmm. The number one feature was like, you know, what it was commented as was a thought for the day. And that's what, you know, um, the, we call the feature daily refuge. So every day something is shared and it's, like I said, it's, you know, it, it gives people the space to reflect on their grief journey. It's something, you know, as a metaphor, kind of like a, a grief nugget to chew on, if you will. <laughs> and so most of what's on grief refuge is voice narrated. And I actually am the one who narrates a lot of the commentary just because the app itself, you know, it, it's got imagery and sound that is very nature oriented and very calming mm-hmm. to the mind. And mm-hmm. so a lot of people share comments that like they find that grief refuge is something that they can fall asleep to. It's something that really helps them feel soothed. It mm-hmm. really impacts their nervous system as well as just helping them navigate feelings of grief-related loss. And that's all I really wanted to say is they do find like a calming and feeling sense of peace when they utilize the app. Mm-hmm. And if anything, you know, in my selfish reasons, that's what warms my heart the most. I just feel so grateful that people can relax a bit when using Grief Refuge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds fabulous. And that is so needed for somebody in grief is, is to be able to, to relax. And I don't think many realize just how much under stress the body, the mind, it, grief affects the whole system, doesn't it? So if they can take five, 10 minutes, as you say, just to breathe and feel that peace, that is ultimately going to help them, isn't it? Process the emotions and help them deal with whatever they're dealing with in that moment a lot easier, I would imagine, because they've got more access decision-making centers that often go offline when we are so stressed and we're grieving. So to be able to bring the body back into that peaceful state, I'm, I'm sure has to be of such a, a benefit to everybody. And I, you said it so well, yes, when people are deeply grieving, I, I do believe that their system, the holistic system, like, you know, everything involved inside the skin, mind and body, it's all, it's all overstimulated. It, it really is because something is felt so deeply and something is felt uh, so intense. And at the same time, your life is so different now. And, and you know, <laughs> it's almost like a shock to the nervous system. Yeah. And so how does one quickly adapt to that? And, and, and again, in Western culture, you're not given a lot of time to adapt. There's, there's pressures and there's expectations that like you're going to be good in a short amount of time, or you should be good in a short amount of time. And sometimes that's often BS. It's really unfair to the person who is grieving to feel that pressure and to have that expectation placed upon them. Because like I said, life 
just got flipped upside down and life takes a lot of time to adjust to so many changes. Oh gosh, as there ever. Yeah. And three or four days, which if you're lucky to work for a company that will allow you that time off, that's barely time to sort of recover from your ordeal at the funeral service or any of that. And then you're expected to return to work the following day or whenever uh, and be productive. It's such an unrealistic expectation for sure. We could go down so many rabbit holes. (laughs) I definitely could. (laughs) I mentioned, uh, and these were your words, the paradigm of doing work you didn't like and just getting caught up and talking yourself out of it. What was your job? What were you doing before what you're doing now? Well, a lot of different jobs, mostly in technology or educational like uh, systems. I've, I've worked for the school district where I live. I've worked for a medical device company. It's, it's weird because that's why I used the word paradigm when I shared a little bit about my background with you is because I've been in the professional workforce for, I guess I'd say about 20, 22 years now. And <laughs> if I could add up all the different jobs I've had, I can't even think of how many different jobs I've had. I've done so many different things. It's like I've changed careers a few times over. And it's for me, it's been uncomfortable because it, it almost has felt like it's been starting over. Mm. And, you know, most people are really strategic, strategic about their career and like, you know, building blocks, um, advancing, getting to the next level. I've gone and done different things. And what what I've finally realized now that I'm middle-aged <laughs> is I don't even know how to describe it. And it, it's like, if, if you have qualities as being, being a healer, and I'll use that term lightly, they're hard to ignore or they're hard to deny because they're kind of like grief. If I'm not giving them attention and if I'm not uh, nurturing them, they'll continue to follow me kind of like a shadow. And, mm-hmm. and I've, you know, I've, I've learned from supporting so many people in grief that it's very similar to, Hey, you know, you can, you can make yourself busy as you can be, <laughs> but the moment you take a pause, grief's just kind of waiting there. And, and it's kind of like, all right, it's time. It's time, buddy. <laughs> let's, you know, let's go there. And so finally, you know, I, I was like, at the time that everything came together as far as, you know, starting Grief Refuge, it, and it didn't start as an app. It actually started as, you know, showing up as like kind of what I call a, a grief companion or a grief doula. Mm-hmm. Um, through my, my training, I followed a specific model that is a companioning model instead of like a treatment or, uh, you know, like a therapy model, especially mental health related. Uh, In grief, I personally believe uh, no one needs to be cured or treated if they're grieving. They just need to be seen, witnessed, heard, listened to, held with empathy, held with compassion, and um, honored, respected. Because that's, I mean, that's the key ingredient. And sorry, I'm getting, getting back on my soapbox for a second. But I think that People that are grieving, they just don't feel like their process is respected at all. At all, and I and I feel like that's where um, that permission coming back to your question before, which I love because <laughs> I'm like, why am I coming back to this? <laughs> it's just grief. Well, not just grief, but people that are grieving, they they need to feel respected in the process, and and there's just so little space for that, so little room. So. I'm going to stop myself there because I noticed I've gone way off track from your original question. And so uh, my apologies. No, not at all. I love it when my guests or myself fall down rabbit holes because to me, those often uh, lead to some rich discussions rather than ones we may have canned and, uh, you know, we want to bring forward uh, for the listeners. So it sounds like you were in a multiple jobs that just, were not 
bringing you satisfaction and it sounds like there was something pulling you along, like a longing or a yearning. Where did that eventually bring you? Because obviously you came to a crossroads. What was it that had you switch tracks? Well, uh, unfortunately, it was the loss of my stepfather, Warren. It was? Oh, gosh. Yeah, so... So uh, Warren died from uh, multiple myeloma uh, cancer in 2016. And after he died, I, without having professional training in the companioning model, Mm -hmm. I showed up uh, for my mom as a companion. Uh, I'm one of five. So my mom mom had five children. My wife and I, we're the only ones, the only kids who don't have our own children. And so, so I was much more time-wise available, um, emotionally available to my mom, um, who was grieving deeply because she lost her soulmate. Mm-hmm. And so there was a period of time where it, I, uh, what I remember it as almost a year that I was on the phone with my mom because we lived at a physical distance. I was on the phone with my mom almost daily listening and helping to hold space for her to mourn and to just express her shock, her confusion, um, her sadness, her loneliness. I started listening to the inner voice where I was like, there's something about that here. And I thought more about it and I'm like, gosh, you know, in grief, although it's so painful, it's so authentic that it's almost like this, this space, for lack of a better term, where humans can't really trick themselves or, you know, they can only trick themselves for so long. Like it's how it, at, one, at one point, it's always got to be addressed. And I like to use the word nurtured. I, I think mm-hmm. grief needs to be nurtured. Yeah. And so, th- you know, this is what I'm looking for. This, you know, this is kind of, my answer to uh, meaning in life uh, mm-hmm. because I was, I've been so unsatisfied <laughs> trying to do all these different professional careers. Yeah. I was like, all right, you know, I need to find some training. You know, I don't want to just jump into it, you know, trying to pretend like I know it all or, you know, like I'm an expert. Mm-hmm. I feel like that would be just too unfair to anybody. And so I found some excellent training and, and um, what I love about the training I found is that rule number one, you never know more than the griever. Like you're the learner. The griever is the teacher. And yeah. so I was like, okay, I'm in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I, I went through my training um, with the Center for Loss and Life Transition. They're based out of Fort Collins, Colorado, the work of Dr. Ellen Wolfelt, who's very popular worldwide and yeah. um, great model for providing grief support. Oh man, I remember my first training. Um, I came home and my wife was like, it sure feels good when your heart is ripped open and you feel like you have meaning, right? And I'm like, yeah, definitely. You nailed it. That's exactly what came up for me. Mm-hmm. And so got the training and then, you know, started putting myself out there, started hanging a shingle. You know, I, I wanted to facilitate retreats and then the global pandemic came and it's like, well, okay, now's not the time. (laughs) I'll listen to the universe. And, um, you know, started sharing my experiences and information more digitally Mm -hmm. uh, because that's a big part of my background and a lot of those skills and work that I did. And, and that's kind of planted seeds and then things sprouted and, um, grief refuges kind of grown to be surprisingly worldwide with the with the app amazing so you supported your mom and with daily calls that had to have felt really comforting to her how did you deal with your own grief because it sounds like you were close to your stepdad as well yeah um, very special guy warren and warren entered my life when i was three so you know he and my mom mostly raised me and my siblings. And uh, in my adult life, yeah, I grew pretty close to Warren. Uh, It's just kind of like a lot of my family 
call him the rock. It's kind of like the rock because he's always so grounded and mm. he actually didn't say a lot. He listened more. Mm. And so, you know, when you talk, talk to Warren, you knew you're going to get good wisdom, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm pausing because I just really miss him. It's mm-hmm. been six years. So uh, a guy like that is that special. It's hard to replace. Absolutely. Well, he'll never be replaced. Now I'm for because I got so emotional. I'm I'm forgetting what your question oh, was. That's Anne. okay. <laughs> My I own was, grief, right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm still working through it. How about that? I, that and that's <laughs> wonderful. Shows your your heart still tender. Yeah, I I think there will always be a tender place. Ten years before Warren died, my dad died too. My biological father. You know, so at the time of this conversation that, that it's been recorded, it's been over 16 years since my dad died. And the reason why I bring him up is because I still feel like I'm navigating my grief related to him because it's been so complicated. My dad was an alcoholic, had post-traumatic stress, and my dad was just not emotionally available as a father. So it was like this really rigid, you know, kind of push you away type relationship and I always wanted something closer and mm-hmm. I'm bringing this up because I'm still trying to develop a relationship with my dad, even though he's dead. I still feel like, you know, in, in memory of my father, mm-hmm. there, there's things that I can do to help me continue to feel closer to him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, uh, that's a process in itself, but the tender heart and the grief, I firmly believe there's always aspects of it. I personally don't believe that grief is something that you know has an end to it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, things, thoughts, feelings, all of it changes. It shifts. You know, it it becomes a different experience yeah. um, over time and through the attention and intention that one puts towards their grief experience. Mm-hmm. But at the same time. If I live to be 99 years old, I think at you know, 97, 98, and 99, I'll probably still think of Warren and still think of my dad and mm-hmm. uh, think of things that you know, I miss and also things that I would love to continue to, to create mm-hmm. with, with either their spirit or the memory of them, etc. You raise a wonderful point about the death of a parent who is emotionally unavailable Mm -hmm. because to me that leaves so much for that child or adult sort of in limbo. I'm sure there was always a moment where you wished that he would change or he would wish that he would reach out. And then when death arrives, it's final and you know that's not going to be an opportunity for you. I like how you said that you are working through healing that part. And I wondered if you could share some of those with our listeners, what that might look like in case there's somebody there that's experiencing that type of loss. Of course. Yeah. So specifically with my biological dad, I like to describe it as like I'm grieving two losses, (laughs) a lot of losses. His physical death. So no longer being able to hear his voice, um, at least live or, you know, be in each other's presence, um, go share a meal together, et cetera. Uh, A handshake because my dad wasn't the type of guy who would hug his children. He just would give handshakes. So, that I grieve that. And then, but I like to say is I also grieve the relationship I had with him. And also I grieve the relationship I wanted with him. Yeah. And so oftentimes these days, when I think about my dad, April 30th was is his death anniversary. And I remember uh, this year, 2022, around his death anniversary, I definitely felt some melancholy, some mild depression. I'm really recognizing that I'm missing him. Mm. And upon reflecting and remembering certain experiences with him, I kind of made this conscious choice where I'm going to do my best to remember a lot of positive qualities because a lot of what I remember 
were a little bit more painful or more hurtful in my experience as a child or as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Not as much as a young adult. I moved across the country and was doing my own thing and you know, had some space. Mm-hmm. So when we talked on the phone, it was fun. You know, I had a joyful experience with him. It was painful to be in his presence for me. When I reflect on you know, the memories of my father, I, I try to do my best to remember you know, the times he laughed because that brought me joy if I was in his presence. I also try to remember the, how I showed up, expressed that I, I loved him because, like I said, he wasn't emotionally available. So things that like touched my heart the most as far as what my dad would say is he, he would say he was proud of me. Mm-hmm. And that meant everything to me because he wasn't the type of guy who would say, I love you. He yeah. would just say, I'm proud of you. Yeah. And so can reflect on that. And I close my eyes a lot when I think about my dad. Do my best to just sit with memories, try to sit with as many joyful ones as I can. Yeah. Uh, in addition to the, the painful, hurtful ones. Mm-hmm. So that's how you're able to sort of work through some of those secondary and third losses. A lot of people just think there's the death, but there's so many more, isn't there, that need to be grieved that we could probably do a whole podcast just on all those losses, couldn't we? Yeah. Going back to 97, 98, 99, it doesn't really matter how old you're going to be. When there's a memory of what you would have liked to have happened or you hear a song or you're in a particular space and you think of the person, that's when the emotions come up. Not sure I totally agree with the phrase, you never get over your grief, especially when it's said to somebody newly grieving. We're human. We're always going to continue to have emotions, aren't we, regardless of how old we are. And I don't find that particularly helpful. And you did mention that they change. They, I don't know if you would use the word, they get softer and you pull more on your memories as opposed to what you've lost as a form of healing? Would that be a more correct assumption? I'm just curious. I don't know. Honestly, it it would be something I need to just put some more thought and feeling into. Mm -hmm. Okay. Please get in touch with me if you ever come up with a satisfactory answer, because it's one that I've been searching for and uh, haven't quite nailed it yet. What helped you through your losses? Well, I did reach out to community support. And so I did join a grief support group with local hospice. That really helped. I I feel like it was set up so that uh, it was in person. It, and we did a lot of activities. So it was interesting. So it was like a lot of um, personal processing through like kind of creative expression in each other's presence. And then we had the space to kind of to share, you know, to share either what we created or to share what we felt while we were working or creating what we were. And so that was cool. And, and that was very helpful. It also felt busy. <laughs> it also felt like, uh, not that it was forced, but like uh, processing was accelerated. Ah, <laughs> so I was kind of like, whoa. Yeah, it was super interesting. And I was kind of like, oh, you know, part of me needs to feel like I need to pump the brakes here a little bit because <laughs> we're, we're cruising, you know, we're going fast. Mm-hmm. And then um, I found a counselor too once a week. And again, helpful to talk things through. That... For me, you know, as a man who learned to, you know, stuff tears, I felt like that was a safe space to to cry. And but more than anything, <laughs> it sounds weird because when I think of it, I live live near the Pacific Ocean, mm, and beautiful. so I would go to the beaches and, mm. and I would just sit there and I would stare out at the sea. And I really wouldn't do anything. I'd just watch the waves and I would listen to the sound of the waves. Mm. And 
it felt like I was doing nothing, but at the same time, so much was being done. It was, I mean, talk about a paradox <laughs> because um, I feel like the, the powerful presence of nature just has an ability to influence a lot of the human psyche. Yeah. If you think about it, nature is always, you know, growing and dying and growing again and dying and such a true representation of life. It and is. It's a, untouched, med- yeah. Yeah. And as a metaphor, it's just so impactful. Yeah. And so those experiences, I, I remember telling my wife, hey, I'm going to go down to the beach and, you know, maybe I'll see you in like a half hour, 45 minutes. I just need to clear my head. I think that's what I would say. Yeah. And um, I come back an hour and a half later and she'd be like, you know, hey, you good? And be like, yeah, I'm good. You know, what'd you do? Well, I kind of did nothing. I just sat there. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> That's what she would say. <laughs> oh, good. And so, uh, yeah, I'm just so grateful to do that. And, and actually, I know there's a lot of people listening who are probably thinking, well, I don't live near the ocean. If that's the case, please try to find a creek or a river because yeah. I, I think a lot of flowing water, just listening and, and staring um, into the flowing water has a strong impact on helping emotion move through you, even if you're not um, actively engaged in it too. Yeah. A little bit like staring into a fire, isn't it? It's mesmerizing. Exactly. I love how you said being, because as a society, we have a hard time sitting still and doing nothing. So the fact that you recognize that and you were able to take yourself off to a body of water and just allow the hypnotic sounds of nature, the waves flowing in and out, just oh, must have been a, a stress release unto itself and gave you that respite that your body probably needed in, in that moment. Sure was. Yeah. Well said. So nature, we can learn so much from mother, can't we? And we ignore her. I'm curious to know, you, you did studies into transpersonal psychology. How does that differ from regular psychology? I'm assuming there's a difference. Well, transpersonal psychology is a little bit of the study of like that which transcends the self. And so uh, we're studying practices such as uh, meditation practices and also um, truthfully, <laughs> Uh, experiences that were altered states of consciousness with marijuana or um, psilocybin or LSD. Not that we were doing this experientially, (laughs) but just more talking about it as far as studies that were done in the 60s and stuff like that. So it's almost like my experience in graduate school in transpersonal psychology wasn't the most pleasant. Um, I actually... You know, I was on a PhD track and I made a decision to stop and just fulfill my master's degree and move on because I personally felt like a lot of the curriculum, you know, at the institute where I studied was really focused on cheater's way to get to the mountaintop of enlightenment. And I know that many of my colleagues, so classmates, would totally disagree with me. Matter of fact, my wife uh, studied at the same school. She would disagree with me. So mm-hmm. I am speaking from my own personal experience. Yeah. I know that it's uh, a little bit different from probably the norm. But I kept looking at just what was being taught and realizing, like, I didn't name it at the time I was studying it, but I'm like, there's really no space for grief here. It's almost like, positive psychology blended with transcendent experiences. Mm. And so is, is this reality here? So much people are dealing with pain and dealing with trauma. And I was just like, what we're studying is almost bypasses that. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really fit. I view myself as a little bit more a grounded individual. And I was mm-hmm. like, this doesn't feel like a true human experience of what, what we're studying here. So mm. yeah, from my own personal experience, that's how it differs from regular psychology. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for clearing that up. I was just curious about that. Uh, and it sounds like it didn't, you didn't connect. You, you, you and the, your studies didn't connect with perhaps your values. You didn't want the cheater's way. 
you wanted to be able to get there under your own volition, I would imagine, rather than the way they were suggesting. Yeah, graduate school wasn't the greatest experience for me, but looking back on it now, in hindsight, it was a blessing because I, I believe, you know, had I had not had my experience, I wouldn't have been on my path to be where I am now. Okay. I was going to ask you what led you to take that program. A bit of naivety. Mm-hmm. I, I was looking for a program in spiritual psychology at the time. Okay. Um, and so I, it was kind of like my best fit for what I found. But again, in hindsight, I think I had to go to the program because that's where I met my wife um, in graduate mm. school. Mm. And we would have never found each other if, um, if it wasn't for going to school then. It, it's very interesting because um, I looked into the program and it, it literally took me two years before I applied. I'm not exactly sure why, except all I can think of is like, well, that's, I, I would have been a few years ahead of my wife if I jumped on it right away. But yeah, it's just strange how things work in life. Synchronicities, um, eh? <laughs> it was one of those meant to be experiences for you. Yeah, yep. I, I didn't know if it was your experiences with death that led you to sort of explore the psychologies. and. No, it was a little bit more of like finding joy and uh, again, uh, raising consciousness. I, I was really in... In my young and mid-20s, I was really into trying to learn more about how to evolve consciousness. Mm. And, and that's somehow led me to finding the program, the transpersonal psychology program. Okay. And I wanted to teach it. That's, that was my goal at the time. That, that you wanted to be a teacher. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Do you think that our grief is the language of our soul? Mm. Wow. <laughs> That's a great question. I don't know. Do I think grief is a language of our soul? I think it can be. I think it's one of the languages. I think there's more than more than one language of our soul. But that's an excellent question. <laughs> the only reason I bring that up is it hurts so blooming much to the point where you think you're going to die. And then there's been so many studies once we've sort of worked through the emotional components and we find different jobs, different lives, that we've actually grown. We've gone past the baseline that we were at before the experience. And that's why I was curious if you thought that that was part of the language of the soul, part of the soul's journey was for us to experience growth and change. Yeah, I am a believer that in life, growth and change and experience are kind of like the meaning uh, or some of the meanings to life. You know, getting to experience all the ranges of emotions, love and loss and everything. You know, it's, I get philosophical for a second. I, I think the concept is simple. And living a human life, it's to feel as much as we can. But at the same time, we all know that human life doesn't uh, feel as simple. (laughs) It's uh, very complicated. Isn't it just? Yeah. We're closely out of time. Is there anything you would like to leave our listeners with? Obviously, where to get the app. Oh, (laughs) sure. (laughs) Uh, The app's easy to find. Whatever phone they use on their phone's app store, you can just search Grief Refuge and it's there to download for free. Some features do require subscription. Um, Some people like to know about that. So I'll be very transparent. Other features are free to use and they'll remain free to use. That's something that I wish uh, was made more clear. A lot of people that can't afford the app, say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to use it because I can't afford it. And I think to myself, oh, I'm not sure if they understand. You can use the app for free. Just, you know, if you want to subscribe to the daily content that will have a, an investment to it. But the journal feature we talked about earlier, that's always free to use. Anybody can use that for free. And so I just want to make that clear. As far as anything else, um, and I just, I want to thank you. I think that, you know, what 
your facilitation of this conversation, there's, I feel like a lot I'm going to sit with and reflect on and, you know, perhaps learn and grow from my own experience. Um, you're, for me, your questions have been very thought provoking. And I just want to, I really want to thank you for your presence and all your attention and your, your genuine curiosity. I can tell you make an excellent grief coach. Wow, wasn't quite expecting that, but thank you so much, Reed. <laughs> That's what you would like to leave our listeners with, Ben? That is, yeah. Thank you so thank much. You. I'll make sure I make a little note at the end about the app with some paid features so that people searching for it will see that. Thank you so much for falling down some rabbit holes and, and being your authentic self and sharing so much of your journey with me and our listeners. And thank you for reaching out and being willing to go to some of those icky places with me. Thank you. So I appreciate everybody uh, that's been with us today and, and for uh, Reed for sharing some of the grief nuggets with us. And as always, that's it. That's a wrap, folks. If you found today's episode helpful, please like or comment the podcast and you'll be notified when a new one's available. Also remember, you don't have to grieve alone. We can help find somebody that would help you if I'm unable to. You can find me at understandinggrief.com and I'm Anne. Bye-bye for now.